This year, Western Outdoor News is going to make it easier than ever for you to check off the wish list for all your fishing buddies this holiday season. Are you ready for the deal this year? It's a doozy. Our first one is $39.95 for your subscription or renewal, and then your first friend receives their subscription or renewal for free. Yes, I said it, free. $39.95 for you, free for your buddy, and then $15 for up to five friends after that. So you can get yourself and six of your best friends fitted with Western Outdoor News for the year for our lowest price of the year. Check out the show description on your phones right now to claim this deal and get it before it's gone. This is our holiday special, available at wonews.com. I had pulled him on and flipped him on his back on top of the pontoon, and I was unhooking him. And as soon as I unhooked him, he twisted with his mouth open, and one of his teeth punctured the front chamber. And we're back to the Western Outdoor News Podcast. This week, we're going to talk about the November 18th, 2022 issue of Western Outdoor News. So let's start here on page one. We have an early SoCal trout season roundup. Uh, This is a full rundown of every lake in SoCal, almost every lake in SoCal, and how they're doing with their trout fishing going into the early season here. So let's just run through some of them. Big Bear Lake coming off of the stocking that they saw from the Trout Fest early in October. The fishing has been actually pretty good uh, as as the temperature is going down. The bites are picking up for sure. That's on Big Bear Lake. So jumping over to page seven, we have a continuation of the SoCal Trout Roundup. Diamond Valley Lake, the season got underway following 3,000 pounds of rainbows and 500 pounds of lightning trout that were stocked on November 8th. And uh, anglers were able to to catch these fish on November 9th. So uh, trout fishing has really kicked off at DVL. We have Santee Lakes. Let's take a jump over to Santee Lakes. Trout season is going off there. November 5th, they had a big stocking of 3,500 pounds of Jess Ranch uh, stock split between lakes 2, 3, 4, 6, and 7. Another plant is expected prior to this coming weekend, and Santee is tentatively scheduled to have a trout delivery every other week into March with another extra large plant stated for January ahead of the annual trout season reopener to kick off the second half of the season. So that's Santee Lake. Let's look at Castaic Lake. It's just been uh, like the last couple years, Castaic has been getting a healthy helping of DFW stocking already in the early season, getting at least one plant in each of the last three weeks after the double stock to start the season in late October. Things are starting to pick up on Castaic. For the full rundown, Check out page one and page seven of the November 18th issue of Western Outdoor News. We'll do one more before jumping on. Hesperia Lake, the opener was incredible. We have some beautiful shots of some giants coming out of Hesperia Lake that you've really got to see in this week's issue. Uh, Jumping forward to some other stories, the Pyramid Lake cutthroats that you guys know so well from Western Outdoor News, the storms that came through on Pyramid definitely increased the bites there. We're seeing some incredible reports that those photos are just bar none. I mean, it's, it's incredible to see those cutthroats come out of Pyramid Lake. Jumping over to the saltwater side, let's take a look at one of these other articles here. Party boat anglers, do you know what to do when dot dot dot? 
Well, John Dickens does, and he's filling you in on page 22. If you know that your live bait is getting short bit, or if sea lions are grabbing every sardine you throw, or if you break off two fish in a row, why is this happening? Well, John Dickens has some answers. You can check that out starting on page 22 in the November 18th issue of Western Outdoor News. Uh, Let's jump up to Northern California. San Luis Reservoir and O'Neill Four Bay are still kicking out trophy line sides. We've got some incredible pictures of stripers that were caught. We got a 37-inch, 19-pound striped bass at San Luis while fishing with guide Roger George. That's John Wen of San Jose. Umbrella rigs are working up there in Northern California for these stripers. Again, those pictures are on page 30. You've really got to check this thing out. This thing is just so filled with information. Super cows. Gundy Gunderson has the the rundown on super cows right now. Long range is kicking into gear, and these photos are incredible. We have a 343-pound yellowfin landed on the Big X, and uh, the photos courtesy of Excel Sport Fishing. It's, it's pretty incredible when you see these fish, especially in the wintertime up here uh, on, on the Long Range Report. So let's jump over to Baja. Of course, we just got back from our Cabo Tuna jackpot where fishing was great. Their Dorado fishing is, uh, is top-notch right now. We had a 183-pound tuna claim the winning prize at the Cabo Tuna jackpot. The total payout this year was $1.5 million dollars. It's a new record, so if you're ever interested in winning some big cash and fishing, you definitely need to check out the Western Outdoor News Cabo Tuna jack- Jackpot. It's the first week in November every year. We'll see you down in Cabo. It's, it's, it's honestly incredible. Well, we ran through some of the headlines today. Obviously, that's just one piece of the puzzle here. For the full issue, you have to check out the November 18th issue of Western Outdoor News. For right now, let's jump to our main guest. That's Chris Madison, who caught a broadbill swordfish on an inflatable. Yeah, you heard me right. He was fishing on an inflatable kaboat or boyak. It's a kayak mixed with a boat, and it's inflatable. And he's catching swordfish and sharks on this thing. Let's kick it over to Chris and hear all about his incredible catches on his kaboat or boyak, whatever one you want to call it. Here he is. So the boat itself is a 15-foot inflatable. Uh, I was searching for something, a small skiff or a kayak. I'd been looking at the Hobie Adventure Islands and, you know, the tandem sailing kayaks and the the 17T, which is 17-foot dual kayak, um, basically so I could get out there with my son. And then I started looking at other, other options. Uh, one of my buddies here has a scout. And it's also an inflatable and his is 14 foot. He has a small outboard on it. And the first thing I thought when I saw that was like, I don't need an inflatable because I'm going to end up doing something stupid like shark fishing on it. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, well, I came across a bunch of, uh, inflatables and at the time they were all called Kaboats or K-Boats. Um, eventually Saturn, the one that I have, uh, they registered the name Kaboat. So the other companies can't use that anymore. They can't say Kaboat. So they have different names for them. Um, but if you type in inflatable kayak boat, a bunch of them will come up. So I went with Saturn. Uh, they have their outfitter model. It's, it's listed different in different places. So Alaskan guide or outfitter model, but it has four chambers instead of just two. 
so each side of the boat has four chambers uh, or oh, wow. two chambers each. So there's four total. And then the floor is inflatable. So you have five. So the first thing people say when I'm out there fishing is what if you get a hole in the boat? Well, I have five chambers essentially. And if one goes flat, I'm still floating. I can get back. Yeah, because uh, I'm actually looking at the picture right now, and I see a gaff, a very sharp gaff, and I see the swordfish, uh, obviously with a pointed bill. And I, uh, I, I just get nervous for you out there with an inflatable. <laughs> but if you have the uh, the safety net of technically fly, five chambers, I guess uh, you'd have to make some big mistakes to get all five of those things uh, popped. Yeah, I'm sure a really angry swordfish or a big mako could make quick quick work of it, but. Uh... It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I did yeah. lose one chamber about a month and a half ago. I was out with my son and uh, we came across a Mako on the top and we stopped and checked him out. Um, I had a trolling rod back with a, uh, it's a Savage Speed Mac. It's like a Mad Mac, but it's a little bit different. And it was back about 150 feet or so. And we looked at the Mako and then started pressing on. And I noticed the Mako did a swirl and turned. And then I looked back and my trolling rod went off and I was like, oh, that's what happened. You know, he went back and ate that lure. So we had a Mako on. I let my son fight him, um, got him next to the boat and he was tail wrapped. So wrapped up in like 30 feet of my top shot. I figured if I cut it, the shark would you know, surely just go down, probably drown and die. So we decided we were going to keep him. I gaffed him and he freaked out, punctured the back uh, chamber and ended up losing all the air in it. But the other three got us home with the shark. Oh my gosh. So wow, we put it to the test. <laughs> yeah, I'd say. So what's the, uh, we've seen an increase in the number of people catching swordfish on small boats, whether they're inflatable or not inflatable. What do you think is happening right now with, uh, with kind of an increased popularity of trying to chase these giant swordfish in small boats? Uh, I think it's just the word has gotten out. These fish have definitely been here for a long time, especially with the commercial industry that's been producing swordfish for decades, you know, with long lines and gill nets. And they got rid of the, the long line fishery for them. They went to buoys and it just showed how accessible these fish are because the commercial guys will come in and they'll be a couple miles off the shore fishing those ridges and the continental shelf there. And, Everyone that owns, you know, a 15 foot skiff is like, I go there all the time. I can try this. Um, so once, once the offshore scene dies down, you know, that's the thing to do is go out there and soak baits for a couple hours, do some drifts. And a lot of guys are getting lucky and hooking up. Yeah, no, and it, it, it not only makes for a good story, but it definitely makes for some good pictures when you see a giant swordfish on a 14-foot skiff. Um, so explain to me, when you're catching this, uh, when you're pulling this fish to the boat, uh, I know you're being careful with the inflatable and everything, but what's, uh, what's kind of the biggest hurdle to try to get that fish into the boat when you are on a boat of this size? Uh, re- the hardest thing was gaffing it. So I made my bite leaders about six feet long and that's to a swivel. So I can't reel it up onto the rod and it's 300 pound. Well, that swivel hits the end of the tip of a seven and a half foot rod. And my gaff uh, pole is like seven feet long. So I really had to stretch out and try to gaff him. So, you know, just getting, closing the distance 
those last few feet is very tough, especially with a fish that weighs 200 pounds and it's just laying sideways and using all its force to stay away from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And tell me about the, the motor that you have on this boat. I'm trying to, trying to get a better look at it. What, what size motor are you working with? So that's a 9.8 Tohatsu. Uh, 9.8 horsepower. <laughs> 9.8 horsepower. I, yeah, I can cruise around at 15 miles an hour all day. It'll get up to 18, 19 miles an hour with a light load and just me. So it gets it up. It's, it's a good little motor. I had a 3.5 horsepower on there and I actually wish I still had a motor that size because it's so light. They're like 55 pounds. And if I was just going in the bay, I could throw that on there, take a gallon of gas and go all day. But the 9.8, it does well. It does really well. Um, I'm able to go with a following sea. If you've ever been out there with like three or four foot rollers and a following sea, you know how it just sucks the, all the power out of your motor. But the 9.8 is able to get up. I can get up right behind the swell and kind of ride it. Uh, it's gotten me out to the 209. I've gone, I've gone as far as the 181, but the biggest loop I did was a 312, 209 up to the 277 near the slide. And then I shot back to Oceanside. And that was close to 100 miles. Oh, my gosh. On 9.8 horsepower. Yep. <laughs> uh, that's that's pretty incredible. And I, I see you're working with some electronics here. Talk to me about, uh, specifically for swordfish, what were you looking for on your electronics to try and, uh, and get this fish in the boat? Uh, well, I can't run the super strong electronics that can actually, you know, read bottom and see all the detail at 2000 feet. So I wanted something that would tell me how deep I am up to 1500 feet, which that Garmin CV 64, it's a CV 64, the echo chirp. Um, it'll read bottom actually up to 1800 feet as long as I'm drifting under two miles an hour. So it'll tell me exactly what depth I'm at. Um, gives me real time temperature, which you're looking for temperature breaks, especially going offshore. And the charts, the charts is a huge thing because as long as I can follow my track and I can see where my drift is and, you know, my next drift, if I don't get the right drift, then I can adjust from there to get the drift that I want. So that's, that's the main thing is just having, having good charts and then being able to read what depth I'm actually in. Okay. And, uh, and then specifically again for the swordfish here, uh, what, what kind of lure, what were you using to, to get this fish? I was just using a dead squid, you know, I go to the local market, 88 ranch, and they have the bigger squid. They're 12 to 14 inches. Uh, I rigged it up with a 20 aught circle hook because I have about a hundred of them from, uh, shark fishing. So I use a circle hook, um, put a bright green Lumo skirt over the top, use the skirts. Some people say they attract them. Mainly what it does is it goes over the, the tip of that bait there. And it makes it more hydrodynamic for the for the fall and makes it swim a little better, in my opinion. I'm not sure if they can actually see, you know, the the bright green color, the purple color, whatever people swear by. I'm not sure if they can actually differentiate those colors that deep. But the green worked. I've seen orange work, red work, purple work. I just I think it just makes a better bait presentation. Mm-hmm. 
So is this something, is swordfish and shark, uh, shark fishing on this inflatable, is this something that you set out and say, hey, today we're going for mako, today we're going for swordfish, or is it just luck of the draw, or are you more deliberate in your, in your uh, target? I was very deliberate in my targets. When I bought this, it was more for my son and I to get out and catch bass, halibut, inshore stuff, but then I was quickly seeing how seaworthy this boat is. So I made a list of things that I would like to catch on it. You know, bluefin tuna was up there. Uh, I wanted to catch a mako shark. And when I thought of mako shark, I was like, I'm going to get like an 800 pound mako shark. But (laughs) those guys are crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I've caught four makos on it. Three of them were under five foot. And then one was just over five foot. And the smallest one, which was about three foot, uh, I had pulled him on and flipped him on his back on top of the pontoon and I was unhooking him. And as soon as I unhooked him, he twisted with his mouth open and one of his teeth punctured the front chamber. And it was just a little pin prick. And I was able to use my, my patch kit and get it patched on the water and not lose very much, much air. But yeah, those guys are crazy. They just, they flail around, they'll attack your motor. They don't care. They come up and uh, try to bite the back of the boat, you know, just seeing what it is. And Mako's are, they're a different breed. Absolutely. And you mentioned bluefin. Have you caught uh, any bluefin on this uh, on this inflatable? I have. Uh, my largest to date is 115 pounds that I got back in June. Jeez, wow. Did that thing take you for a ride? Or <laughs> how, oh, yeah. Uh, are you it, fighting this with the motor? Are you fighting these fish with the motor the whole time so or just kind of letting them pull you? I can get away. Sorry to cut you off. I can get away with a lot of light line on this, a lot lighter line on this rig than people normally fish because it only takes probably 10 to 12 pounds of force to pull that boat around. Mm -hmm. So I can use 50, 65 pound line and set the drag at 16 to 20 pounds. And if the fish is running, it's most likely going to pull my boat before it pulls drag. Yeah. Your boat is almost acting like drag at that point. Right. Um, The only thing I have to worry about is if they dive, that's when they, they can really pull a lot of lines. So I like to keep keep at least two two times the amount of line on my reel as the depth I'm fishing. So oh, out there smart. in the tuna grounds, it's anywhere from 1,500 to 3,000 feet. So, you know, put a couple hundred yards of line on there. That way, if they decide to go 1,000 feet down, I can still have enough line. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you were to talk to somebody that's trying to get uh, – to get their inflatable built up and kind of their whole kit put together. What are some things that you would tell people not to waste their time focusing on? And then some things that you'd say, Hey, don't go out there without blank. Uh, so safety is number one. I have, I carry an EPIRB. Um, I have a VHF radio. It's a handheld. I can talk to boats within about five miles, but I can, I can pick up the coast guard anywhere, anywhere within the SoCal bite, I can get on there and talk to the Coast Guard because they have a lot better comms. Um, That's the number one factor if you're going to go offshore. Uh, The motors, motor is also huge because for for me, when I bought this boat, it was all about portability. It wasn't about going offshore. I found out that, you know, this thing is very seaworthy after the fact. It was the portability uh, and just opening up that inshore scene. So, the motors, I think up to six horsepower, you're looking around like 55 pounds or less. Um, and then once you get to like the eight and the 9.8 horsepower, 
they're 90 to 100 pounds. And then you can go up to 15 horsepower, which is going to put you right around 100 pounds. So you really have to look into that and figure out how you're going to transport it. If you're going to trailer it or if you're going to lug this thing in and out of the back of a truck every time. Yeah, right. I mean, with with these, of course, transportation is the main thing. Where do you keep yours primarily? Is it on a trailer or do you have it in a truck? I actually have it slid in the back of my truck right now. Um, During the summer, if I live five minutes from the water. So during the summer, if I was getting home around four, then there's a chance that I was going to be on the water that day. Uh, So I just kept it inflated throughout the whole summer. And if I needed to use the truck, I would quickly deflate it, roll it up, put in the, put in the garage. And that, that took all of like 20 minutes to do. And then setting it up the way I have it set up with the, the uh, top seat and the little frame and the rod holders and stuff, it'd take probably like 30, 35 minutes to put together. Wow. Well, I guess <clears throat> speed and convenience uh, are one thing on that, I guess. Uh, however, you can make it quicker and easier to get out on the water. What are some things that you would tell people in terms of gadgets and gizmos and things that you can have on your boat that you would tell people to kind of shy away from that they haven't been useful for you? Going back to safety equipment, you have to have lights if you're, if you're transiting during low light periods. So stay away from cheap products. If it's basically, if you're buying a navigation light that's under $50, it's probably going to leak and you're going to go through three or four of them throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the, the yak attack products because they're made for kayaks and they're a little bit more expensive, but I've had them on my boat for the last six months and I haven't had any issues when I was having issues with lights every other trip. Yeah. I mean, quality definitely would come first, especially, uh, when you're limited on what you could even have in the boat. So of course, right. buying that's it right. A, that's buying another it once. factor. Looking, when you look at this boat, it's not very big. So coming from kayaks is i used to kayak fish a lot coming from kayaks um having a kayak load it has plenty of room but then you end up wanting to take everything in the garage like two trolling rods a jig stick you know surface iron stick a live bait rod and then um i even have a bait well or a bait tank that i made it's 15 gallons but i have the drain set at 10 so that's another 80 pounds that sits up front and it just takes up more room yeah Wow. Well, it seems like you have it all pretty much dialed in. What's your, uh, what's your next excursion that you have planned? I don't know. The, uh, the swordfish thing came up earlier this year and it was like, that was like the Holy grail. Like, what do you do? It's like, you just won the super bowl. Where are you going now? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and that's kind of what happened after I caught it. I, I looked at my stuff and just kind of sat there for like three days. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Am I going to go after another swordfish, like a bigger one? But then if I catch another one around the same size or smaller, uh, how do I release it? Can I release it? Should I? So that's, that's in the back of my mind. I want to get back out there and try the swordfish thing while they're still, you know, active and we're still in the right time of year. Um, but I think, I think, until mid-December, I'm probably going to focus on some wintertime yellows, yellowtail. Oh, that'd be great. So I want, to, be- I want to take my son out there and show him how to fish yellowtail on the squid beds and all those big cold water fish that we get. Yeah, and hopefully this storm cell uh, 
has moved through, and we have some good weather now ahead of us, and uh, and some safe seas to go out there and get you some wintertime yellowtail. That'd be awesome. Yeah, definitely. Sweet. Well, hey, Chris Madison, thank you so much uh, for joining the show today. And again, uh, tell people where they can find your photos online and take a look at some of these uh, some of these fish that you're catching. Uh, yeah, so I have an Instagram page. I don't have too many followers right now. So if you want to go follow, that'd be great. It's uh, Chris underscore fish underscore page. And it's just dedicated to fishing out of the Kaboat and doing surf, surf fishing. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Western Outdoor News Podcast. Again, our holiday special. It's live right now. Check out the show description on your phone for your subscription, $39.95, free for your first friend, and $15 for up to five friends after that. Check it out and read Western Outdoor News.